Recorded live in crisp downtown Newtown, this is Rancho Notorious, a podcast about movies and other cool stuff. You can find this and all the other episodes of the show at funeralsandsnakes.net forward slash Rancho Notorious. Welcome everybody to season two, episode eighteen. That was a little bit quiet, wasn't it? Uh, it quieter, was. quieter than usual. We've rebuilt the studio here at Rancho Notorious, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple of hiccups later, we fi- we finally got underway. We are recording. The red light is on. It's only when we have guests that this happens. We're totally professional when it's <laughs> no one's exactly. watching. My name is Dan Slevin, and here with me in Wellington, New Zealand, is Kaylee Carruthers. That was the other voice you just heard. Hello, yes. Kaylee. Hi. And joining us here at Rancho Notorious tonight, we have Ben Woodward. He's the man behind one of the most successful social media projects in New Zealand history, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, hashtag WhyWellington, uh, it's on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and it's all, you know, it's, it's a fascinating story because despite his publicly stated, oft-stated love for Wellington, he's actually from Western Australia originally and has been uh, very diligent, I understand, about uh, approaching his homework for tonight's show. Ben, welcome to Rancho Notorious. Thank you, Dan, and thank you, Kaylee. Mm. It's lovely to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. So perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your uh, your own movie-going history. Where, what Do you remember the first film you saw? Where were you? Okay, so location-wise, Kalgoorlie, Western Australia, and I was lucky enough to have a fairly film-literate family, so so movie viewing and movie discussion was a big part of my childhood. Um, as far as going to the movies goes, my earliest memories would be around the disaster films, your towering infernos, your Poseidon adventures, um, and as far as movies on TV, it was... Clint Eastwood. It was your Dirty Harrys. It was your Good, Bad and Uglies. The first film that really got me thinking was Duel. Oh, right. Yeah. Steven Spielberg's first feature film about a mysterious killer truck. Starring the dad from Gentle Ben, which was the link that got me excited. Right. Or, <laughs> Mac- or McLeod, depending on your generation. Um, oh, fantastic. Now, do you remember uh, when... Uh, Kalgoorlie got its first video show? Oh, mind blown. Because <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a moment in your, in your, your, your film development. I you know, usually when, 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 when you can go and watch anything, almost. I'm thinking 82 or 83. Right. And, uh, and did, you, do you have a, did you have a favourite at, at the time? Did it introduce you to other other things? Having a video shopping. My time? my brother is nine years older than me, so he could get the video nasties out, and <laughs> so um, I uh, I saw things that I shouldn't have seen. Usually horror. Right. Yeah. When I was at when I was at high school, a friend of mine uh, who who was the the kind of the richer kid in class, they had they had the first VHS machine. Uh, of any of us in in class and they had access to of course pirate uh pirate videos at the time and uh so (laughs) he got a whole lot of of us around to his place to watch friday the 13th on pirate vhs video but it was out of sync 
<laughs> with sound for like 13, it was like 13 seconds out of sync. And, oh, I, no. and I'm thinking, how is this cool? This doesn't seem even remotely cool to me. <laughs> but no, we, he was the first, damn it. Anyway, we're going to talk about another of the greats of that era a little bit later on, uh, Poltergeist, which has just been remade. Uh, what else are we going to do on the show today? Mad Max Fury Road. Mm. It's been out for uh, at least a week here in New Zealand, and uh, so we're maybe a little bit late to the party in terms of discussing it, but better to be right than first, I always say. Um <laughs> And, uh, and of course, we'll be talking about Pol- Poltergeist, the new one from Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert. And a little bit later on, we're going to be discussing a few more films on current release, as well as the latest announcement of titles for the New Zealand International Film Festival, which I understand, uh, Kaylee, you uh, you might have some awareness of. You can talk about Possibly, that a little I bit might. later on. Yeah. So all that and more. But as usual on the show, uh, before we get uh, any further into it. Kaylee, you've been keeping tabs on the mailbag. Yes, I have. Um, it's been great this week, or the last fortnight, I suppose. Thank you, everyone, for contributing. Um, let's start with the top. I have a tweet here from Simon Buckenberg. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly. Um, t- he has been going through and watching some older films, some home viewings, getting a bit of a mix, so that's good. Uh, two-word review for Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fred Thompson's two-word review for The Salt of the Earth. Absorbing portrait. Beautiful and sometimes disturbing tribute to an amazing humanitarian. That is a fantastic film, Salt of the Earth. We didn't actually talk about it much on, on, on this show when it came out, but um, I know that I did do a review of that for... Uh, Radio New Zealand National, so maybe we'll um, attach the audio of that review as uh, a little extra on the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, from Fred Thompson, two-word review for Slow West, stylish storytelling, intricate character drama, brisk, unconventional, wonderful, dark humour. Great watch. Have you seen Slow West? Uh, no, I had to miss it, unfortunately. Is it in our uh, box office top five? I don't know. Has it been released? Yes, I think it opened last... Last Thursday, yeah, it's at number fourteen, straight in at number fourteen. So, seeing as seeing as it, uh, we're not going to get a chance to talk about it in the box office. I will um, mention it briefly here. I did get a chance to see uh, a preview. I think our friends at Flix.co.nz organised, yeah. Um, and this is a, a western, uh, a very much one of those ironic modern kind of westerns, rather than uh, an iconic John Wayne kind of. Uh, Western, but uh, of most interest for New Zealand audiences will be the fact that Michael Fassbender is the star of it. Close behind, in terms of interest, is the fact that it was made in New Zealand, in Central Otago, which is the second time that Central Otago has stood in for uh, the frontier, the prairie, uh, and the mountains, and all. I mean, you can do all of it, can't it, really? Um, so, this is a story about a young uh, Scottish chap he's probably a youth rather than a man played by cody smith mcphee the australian actor who was in the road with uh vigo mortensen uh, a while ago when he was uh, a young thing and uh, he's has traveled to america in search of his love his the woman he loves who fled scotland uh, after some kind of crime or scandal, and uh, so he's not the only one trying to find her. There are bounty, there's a bounty on her head, uh, and so there are a whole lot of other people who are trying to track her down. 
get the reward and when they know that he is also um, looking for her he doesn't know anything about the reward unfortunately but they sort of attach themselves to him to try and use him to help uh, find her and Michael Fassbender is the mysterious stranger who you don't really know for most of the film whether he's uh, in it for the reward or whether he's just got some kind of other noble um, goal in mind whether he's you know so anyway it is a classic western in that respect it's a, a, a terrifically well cast Ben Mendelsohn another great Australian actor is is in it uh, but it is and it's it's very very funny which I was not expecting. It's well, it's very dry humor. It's like a, it's a, there's, there's, there's some real wit uh, to it, but it's, yeah, it's an ironic sort of western rather than an iconic western, I would say. <laughs> it, and um, but a really good, a, a good watch. Um, I, growing up in uh, or around New Zealand theatre, knowing a lot of the faces that appear. Uh, it's harder to suspend your disbelief, I think, when you know <laughs> when you know that you know it's like it's like Circa goes west, for the, for the, and Wellingtonians will will understand that reference. Um, so there's a whole lot of people, and you think, oh come on! But uh, I do think it's it's a it's a really um, it's a good modest um, film, and I think it'll probably get a, a good following over 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 a period of time. It's not going to blow anybody's box office wide open. But uh, the director, John McClane, the writer-director, John McClane, is an old friend of uh, Fassbender's, and I think that it's it's a, a stepping stone for him to, to show what he can do. I think it, uh, this is his first feature. So, um, yeah, Slow West, for me, I, you're going to ask me about two words now, aren't you? And I haven't thought about it. I thought Ironic Western was good. Yes, I, yes, I love it when you, when you pick them for me. Yes. Great. Um, any, any, who else is in the mailbag? Um, there's a lovely tweet from Deborah Jones. Uh, Dan's tender paternal concern for the young Kurt Cobain made me see the tragedy of his young life in a new way. Dan's oh. or Kurt Cobain's? <laughs> yeah, good. Oh, that's a good question. No, I and think then, probably and then seek some an clarification. And then that. there's emoji of clapping, a black heart, and a weeping face. I... Yeah, I, I'd like to. I'd like to think that I that I I was uh, slightly moved myself by young the young Cobain's plight there, uh, and it was only when he started singing that I really wanted to strangle him. Yes, and then of course the most exciting tweet of the week: um, Reese Pie discovered that Dan Slevin was quoted on the cover of the Dark Horse DVD and probably Blu-ray. Oh well, if there was ever a Blu-ray, that would be awesome too. Um, because uh, that came out of a conversation in a previous in, in a in a recent podcast where uh, I'd said that the Far From Heaven documentary is the only time that I'd ever been quoted on a DVD, and they sent me a copy to say thank you for it, and um, and Reese Pai found out that there was this other one which I didn't even know about. Sure, and mm. they didn't send me a copy. Just a hint to those of you in the distribution uh, department for the Dark Horse. Um, I wouldn't mind one for my collection. Thank you very much. Um, so, but a, but a very profitable mailbag uh, for us this time round. Um, box office is the next thing we need to talk about. Isn't tis, it? tis. Let me find it. Let me find it. All right. Um, so, New Zealand first. Yes. So... No, not New Zealand first, the political party. New Zealand. We'll, we will yes. do New Zealand in that order. Yes. Um, I'm actually going to start at six this week yeah. because it's something that I went and watched. Um, and it, 
number six down from four of Royal Night Out. Dan, you didn't go. No, I'll skip Did that you? one. Uh, um, ben, you you went to see uh, a Royal Night Out, didn't? Did you not? In the interests of balance. Uh, considering we'll be talking about probably Poltergeist reboot, Mad Max reboot. Yes, I went to see A Royal Night Out. So you went knowing that you were going to be coming onto the show, or do you went because that's you know you wouldn't you 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 would have chosen it normally. The former. I would never have gone to see this film. <laughs> right. <laughs> so well, that's my commitment to the cause, right there. That is. We are we are honoured. We really are. Which of you wants to do the plot summary? Or we could tag team it. I'll start, and, okay. and if I miss something, okay. so it's it's VA VE day, uh, the day that peace is 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 formalised um, uh, for the end of World War Two, and the then Princess Elizabeth and her sister Margaret are asking Mummy and Daddy if they can go and spend some time celebrating this momentous occasion among the commoners. Yeah, and that's and then hijinks and so. And that's pretty much it. What else is in the box office? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> well my, my, my understanding is that uh, that first part was true. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right? That they, they were allowed out, they were chaperoned, they went to the Ritz, and they danced until dawn, and then they went home again, uh, is what happened in real life, is my understanding. Now, does the, does the film uh, provide any additional drama to that rather modest um, yeah, they definitely—they definitely didn't just go to the Ritz and dance the night away. And Un- unless, well, unless this is the true story, and like someone's come out. If but- that's the true—if that's the true story, and they're only <laughs> revealing it now, then they're going to end up in the Tower of London, aren't they? Probably, but <laughs> off um, with their heads. Yeah, they basically they es- they escape from their from their um, chaperones. Chaperones, yeah. yes, because their chaperones are seduced by the beautiful women in champagne at the Ritz. Um, <laughs> so ridiculous. And uh, Margaret takes off, being the wilder one of the two, and um, Elizabeth runs after her and spends the whole night looking for her sister in all these seedy joints around London. Well, that, but I guess the, metaphorically or, or allegorically that is true because um, Princess Margaret was the rogue she sister was. wild card. Yeah, the, absolutely. Didn't have the pressure of, um, you know, inheriting the... No, exactly. She, she But had the bank account. She mm. loved the good life, the island of mystique, I seem to recall it. Um, the, the, her tabloid hijinks when, when I was a kid, we used to read about her in the papers a lot. So so there's a kind of air of truth about, the, uh, mm. about it, isn't it? But, I mean, that I'm going to presume that that's not what happened on VE Day itself. Once we, we get to the end of the facts, what starts beyond that... I thought was an homage to Pulp's Common People track from circa 1995. <laughs> um, <laughs> she didn't come from Greece with a thirst for knowledge. For knowledge. She came from Germany, I believe, yeah. or the family did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then uh, is the character's name Jack? Yes, uh, something very plain like that's that. That's your Jarvis Cocker character. And um, you know what I would like to have seen? I would like to have seen a film about Margaret's Night Out because it seemed a whole lot more exciting yeah. than Elizabeth's. Well, there, there you go. Um, oh, and apparently you can just casually buy roofies. <laughs> like 1940s London. That's, co- that's cool. Margaret, um, Margaret was slipped one. Uh, uh, a roofie. And, that's, and that was it. That was her on the road to rack and ruin after that. Mm. Um, 
what about the parents? Uh, because we've got Rupert Everett and um, Emily Watson. Emily Watson. See, there you Is go. It's Emily Watson. I okay. always think of Emily Watson as much younger. Well, she was once. She, she was, was once. and time has not been kind. No. Well, I don't know if that if time, if time isn't. I think I think the, the nature of the ca- of the show business and casting is not kind. Mm. You know, it's, it's it's she's she. You get to a certain point and you start playing mothers, and then mothers get ever frumpier, don't they? Unless she was aged by makeup the way Rupert Everett was in the film, mm-hmm. very very badly, I might add. Um... And what I didn't really understand was, I, I get it in a film, if a character through the course of the movie ages, and so you need a younger actor that then you need to make. But he was just old the whole time, and I wondered, why didn't they just get someone of a similar age to the king at the time to Ca- play that part? Casting is, casting is uh, a dark art, and I, I get the impression that... Um, I mean, he's a wonderful actor, Rupert Everett, and, he, and generally his presence improves everything that... That, that he is involved in but um, yeah I can't sp- I, having managed to dodge this particular bullet I didn't uh, I can't speak to that now Ben as you may have just guessed uh, we like to um, reduce millions of dollars and years of people's work and time and uh, energy uh, down to the kind of the most rudimentary summing up of a film uh, we, ch- we try and reduce the, uh, our reviews to two words so Kaylee, maybe you could go first um, my two word review would be go Margaret can I have a hyphen? yes you can, yeah. we cheat all the time, don't worry about it royal cock up <laughs> excellent beautiful in at number five is opening at number five not bad, Poltergeist the yep. remake. We'll be talking about that one a little uh, after the news a little bit later on. Yes, in at number four, down from three, Avengers: Age of Ultron. Now I went uh, to my local multiplex on Monday night to see some other things, and they've still got the posters up for this. But if you across a crowded uh, foyer, you look at the Avengers: Age of Ultron poster, and if you just glance at it, I'm, you, I was convinced that it said Avengers: Ass of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to contribute to that. Beautiful. In, opening at number three is Spy. Did anyone see that? Oh, yeah, Spy. Yeah, I saw mm. that one. Um, and this is actually really funny. Is it? Yes. It's really funny. And it's Melissa McCarthy, uh, who can be extremely annoying, but um, did any of you see the the, uh, the movie she made with Sandra Bullock about uh, the undercover where she the was heat. The, the yeah the heat yeah. that was that was cool so that was pretty watchable directed by um, Paul Feig as well who directed Bridesmaids uh, obviously gets on really well with her she's like uh, she's his muse to a degree um, this is the film that he's written stars her she plays a, a CIA uh, Analyst whose job at the beginning of the film is to be the voice in the ear of um, the uh, the master spy who's actually doing all of the work. So um, you know, look to your left, look right, uh, look at check the staircase, all that sort of stuff. And and she's brilliant at it. They're a fantastic uh, team, uh, and. Disaster does befall him, and uh, she in, ends up having to go out into the field uh, as an agent. Um, 
and we discover that she's actually a lot more talented and gifted at it than um, perhaps people gave her credit for. Particularly Jason Statham, according to the trailer. Exactly. And Jason Statham is really funny. Very, very funny. playing, uh, Absolutely playing his, his uh, transporter kind of uh, gruff, cockney, hard man type to the hilt um, and, sell, and, uh, and, and selling himself out brilliantly all the way through. It is actually really witty and uh, uh, what else have we got in this one? Uh, Burn, what's her name? Rose Burn. Mm, Rose yeah. Burn's the villain <sighs> in it. Very, she's very funny. And actually, it, it is an R sixteen rated uh, film. Very much so. There's a lot of uh, swearing in it, uh, and quite a lot of uh, um, comic violence, but crunchy comic violence. Um, but actually, the the filthier it gets, the funnier it gets. Mm. And um, yeah, no, I really, I, I really enjoyed it, and I get the feeling that this is a film that's, that again is going to have quite a long life as as word gets out uh, about it. Um, and Paul Feig, the guy, he's the guy who created uh, Freaks and Geeks on television way back in the um, dim and distant past. He's a sort of alumni of the Judd Apatow school of movie making. Well, he's finally finding a real sort of voice of his own. Um, if you were going to watch like a spy spoof. I would take this any day over Johnny English or the other Johnny English film. Like, seriously, this wow. is like, this makes, uh, it, it, it is, it's actually a genuinely um, funny film. Like, like, and I don't often laugh out loud at comedies nowadays. I often sit there going, hmm, that's funny. And uh, But this one I actually did did um, laugh out loud. So it's very well cast, some good cameos in it, and... Um, in fact, including the most insane cameo from uh, 50 Cent. 50 Cents. And, like, for no real reason at all, except that he's funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's just like... It's, he needs the cash. Well, yeah, maybe. He, but he, he certainly seemed very... He was up for it, we In say. 50 years' time, how will it stack up against the Naked Gun films? That's my benchmark. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a good call. Uh, I would say that they're, st- they're still um, right up there. Although I'm not sure that all of them necessarily. Let's forget the third one. Yeah, in, in most franchises, you can forget <laughs> the third one. Um, but yeah, I, like I think I get the feeling that if this turned up on TV in five or ten years' time, um, you'd sit and watch it. You know. Mm. It's almost the highest recommendation that I have. Um, you're going to want me to come up with two words. Yes. Um, okay, two words for spy. It's a stupid title. Like, a really, really, like, you get the feeling that some committee, it was everybody's second favourite choice for, a, <laughs> for for the actual title of this thing. Really um, poor and, and completely failing to um, provide anybody with any idea about what this thing's actually about or the flavour of it. Um, but I would say uh, my two words are actually funny. Right. There you go. Cool. Um, in at number two, staying at number two is Pitch Perfect 2. And if you want to hear our opinion on that, you can yep. listen to last week's show. It's uh, not great. That's right. Uh, and also, I think that if you go to our Letterboxd profile, uh, you'll find that the, some of our comments about that will have been uh, transposed. transposed into the written form. On will any of your comments be appearing on the DVD? On the, co- on the cover? Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I, we would offer them free of charge. Yeah. If that were to happen. <laughs> 
and holding down the number one position, Mad Max Fury Road. Which we're about to talk about. Mm. Um, but anyway, let's go to uh, our cousins across the ditch in Straya. Uh, number five, the ass of Ultron. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. At four... Actually, there's some good butts in that film. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, number four, Woman in Gold, which has only just uh, opened in Australia. We is got that, that one first. Hmm? What? Is that a sequel? Woman in Gold. Mm. No. Um, Could be. Well, do you want it to be? I just thought maybe the, the woman in red had grown up. Oh. <laughs> no, no, this Become classy. No, this, is, this is, this is a, an, another <laughs> Helen Mirren accent movie. Okay. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Uh, at three in Australia, Pitch Perfect 2. Number two is Spy. And number one, Mad Max Fury Road. Just looking a little bit further down uh, the list for anything that uh, that maybe we don't, uh, we haven't got in New Zealand yet. Number 16 in Australia, Warren Miller's No Turning Back. Mm. What a franchise that is, the Warren Miller ski movies. And they only ever play one night stands in uh, in cities all over Australia and New Zealand. They just turn up and they play two or three sessions a day and then they ship out and to actually be able to make enough money in uh, a week to get to get into the top 20, that's um, pretty amazing. Because those films, they are all the same. Uh, Ex Machina. Is that, is that got a release date in New Zealand? Ex Machina? Machina? Uh... Because I'm quite keen to see that. I'm just wondering whether it's one of those ones that um, we're going to lose. Um, Clouds of Sils Maria. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a film that I know has been dropped from the New Zealand uh, schedule. So I I would imagine that that'll turn up in the film festival at some point, but not that you would know. Which film festival, though? There's so many in New Zealand. That's right. Um, And something called Tanu Weds Manu Returns (laughs) at number eight. I don't know what that is. Returns, though. It's yeah, so, so that'll be a sequel. Yes. Probably. In North America, uh, number five, Avengers Age of Ultron. Number four, Poltergeist. Number three, Mad Max Fury Roads. You fools. You should be going to that. Uh, two, Pitch Perfect 2. And in the number one position, Tomorrowland. Yeah, and it was Memorial Day weekend in uh, the United States. This weekend just passed. And apparently it is. it was the... Uh, lowest box office for a Memorial Day in mm. a long, long time. Uh, Across a, the board. Yeah, there's a lot of disappointment around Tomorrowland, which was uh, supposed to be uh, a real go absolutely gangbusters, and, and it hasn't. I know that a lot of our listeners, uh, our, particularly our listeners in the media, will have seen it on previews here in New Zealand last weekend. I had tickets and forgot. So I'll be going this weekend uh, to see Tomorrowland because I, I, you know, I'm a big Clooney fan. I'll always go and see a Clooney film. Yeah, um, it's a, and it's another Disney film based on a theme park. How bad could it be? I know exactly, but apparently, well, isn't isn't it? Uh, opens at number one, thirty-three million dollars. Everyone's slitting their wrists. Um, in the UK, uh, this is just the weekend uh, that has just passed. Number five, The Avengers: Age of Ultron. Uh, for, actually, we'll go back to number six, Spooks, The Greater Good, which is the spin-off feature film from the uh, the BBC television series. Uh, num- actually, even, even further back, it's interesting, number seven, Far From the Madding Crowd, mm-hmm. uh, the Thomas Hardy uh, adaptation, which apparently is really, really good. Oh, they've got Tanu Weds Manu Returns as well. Oh, it's, it's a Bollywood movie. 
that's why. And the Bollywood movies always open day and day all mm. over the world at once mm. to uh, uh, fix the uh, piracy thing. Oh, that, wow, this is a really interesting oh, list. It's mm. on the New Zealand in, in t- at number oh. 12. All right, there we go. Everybody everybody got it all at once. Tony wins about it. Um, yeah, Far From the Madding Crowd at 7, Spooks at 6, Avengers 5, Poltergeist 4, Tomorrowland at 3, so not even able to open at number 1 oh, and in the UK. T- Tomorrowland, A World Beyond. In the UK, yeah. In the UK. Um, and number 2, Mad Max Fury Road, number 1, Pitch Perfect 2, holding its own. But working our way down, there's some interesting ones there. I know that there are a lot of uh, people <gasps> who are... girlfriends and Moomins. Moomins on the oh. Riviera. I, I know people that, that would just adore... Watching something, watching something like that, and again to, to I missed it. I missed it at the French Film Festival. I didn't get a chance to see it. Well, there you go. Um, now, the the, the uh, British Film Institute, the BFI, produced these stats, and they give you a lot more detail than uh, all of these other box office uh, um, statistics, including uh, what the other films that opened th- uh, that weekend, uh, including. Get this, £2,761 for Only Angels Have Wings, the re-release, the Howard Hawks movie starring Cary Grant from 1930-something. <laughs> Somebody decided that that should go into cinemas. I mean, it's brilliant. I, love, I, I, would, I wish more people would be able to do that here, but our market is just too small. We have, we have to re- if we want to watch archive or classics on the big screen, we have to rely on uh, either the film festival, the autumn events, or... RO Video. Well, the big screen, you know, this is the... Uh. Yeah, RO Video, <laughs> well, my house, yeah. obviously, um, or um, the uh, Film Society. So, uh, you know, it's... It, uh, you Any listeners in England who aren't going to see these classic movies when they get a chance, you know, they, you, they're going to disappear. They're not. People aren't going to make this effort. Um, anymore. Anyway, that was that. Time to uh, get stuck into Mad Max. As the world fell, each of us in our own way was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy. Me. Or everyone else. Tom Hardy Mm. playing... Mad Mel Gibson in <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road. And what is there to say about a film? I, I'm, I'm guessing that if you are a listener to Rancho Notorious, then something like Mad Max Fury Road would all, always, already be in your frame of reference. You know, it's, it's, it's likely to be one of those films that, uh, that you're going to want to see early on, so you may already have, have seen it, listeners. I don't know if we can do a consumer guide to it. Maybe we should just do a, you know, we, not worry about spoilers and just get into what we thought about it. Who wants to start? I'll start because this is very important to me. Okay. It's, it's a cultural touchstone it's, it for is. you, isn't it? <clears throat> I want you to imagine you're hovering over the planet Earth. You're zooming in on a red continent, Australia. Heading down to the sort of middle of the southwest part. It's just red dirt. Zoom down further into a a town where fuel is expensive and water is scarce. Zoom down further into a drive-in, specifically (laughs) a Ford Falcon Cobra 1978. 
And in that car is a 10-year-old boy watching Mad Max 2 and having his mind blown. Not because it was a great film, that was part of it, but because on the screen I saw a landscape that was the same landscape as the one beyond the screen. Um, so many of the themes in it were ever apparent in that town. So Kalgoorlie is based around gold mining. And there was a time there where they were finding less and less gold. And everybody knew when the gold's gone, the town's gone. And there were so many parallels in that film. Plus, by, this, by Mad Max 2, was it called Road Warrior here or was it yep. just Mad Max 2? I think it was uh, Mad, Mad Max Two: The Road, Road Warrior. Warrior. So it was just they, they had a Mad Bob, a Bob Max each way. Two. Yeah, I, and I understand that because in a lot of places the first Mad Max film had not been released, um, and and so add all of those cultural things that I recognised, and that in the film I recognised the makes of cars. It's like oh, that's a souped-up Tirana. That's a souped-up Falcon, um, and then that in the second film that a a child was introduced into the story and that was me in my mind and um and it was also the first time even at the age of 10 I was a little bit cognizant of Australian films that probably started with the best of intentions but were government funded and were a little bit cringy um but this was the first time that I wasn't aware that this was an Australian this was just an amazing film that was speaking directly to me and um Combine that with a very vivid memory. The moment that film ended, every single driver in that drive-in was Mad Max. Leaving that drive-in movie theatre, is that what you call it, a drive-in movie yeah. theatre, was simultaneously the most exhilarating yet terrifying thing that had ever <laughs> happened to me at that point in my short 10 years. And it left a, a lasting effect on me. Um, and at the time, Hollywood was doing, what, Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah, it's around about that time, yeah. Um, and, I mean, they were cool films, but they were, you know, they were... A lot of what went on was expected, but that was that was something really different for me. I mentioned my brother being nine years older and getting the video nasties, that being anything that was rated R, and the original Mad Max was rated R. So I saw them in the wrong order. I saw Mad Max 2 and then saw Mad Max 1. And, um, and yeah, it, I, I just got it. It meant a lot. Coming into Fury Road, I was faced with the dilemma, do I watch them again and then go see Fury Road? Do I watch them in reverse chronological order for no other reason than to just mix it up? Mm -hmm. And I've recently made a choice to acquire my viewing legally. Um, Good choice. And well done, sir. Yeah, we, we respect that. Um, and every single copy of every Mad Max film in this town, in every video, <laughs> was out. You probably had one, Dan. Um, and so I went down the road of legitimate downloading, only to meet a brick wall at every turn. Oh, my goodness. Um, I won't go into lengthy detail of just trying to get the first Mad Max film, but I got shunted around iTunes Canada to iTunes Australia to iTunes New Zealand and 
it, when I finally was able to, plus I had to get my Apple ID and all of that sort of stuff. It was literally a two and a half hour exercise. And finally, um, I, I just wasn't able to do it. Well, because the original Mad Max isn't available on iTunes in New Zealand, which is nuts. We 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 went through the same a similar exercise in terms of deciding that we we wanted to rewatch um, all three before uh, Fury Road. Actually, I decided. Karen just um, went along for the ride, really. <laughs> but um, we have an, a US iTunes account here, and um, we had to buy the first Mad Max that wasn't available for rental on iTunes. Uh, but luckily it was a purchase at the same price as a rental. So whatever, what the heck we, we, we bought it. Um, then of course, uh, a search for Mad Max two revealed nothing because in America it was known as the road warrior. So then we, all right, we have to do that. And then we watched beyond Thunderdome. But so we did, we did manage to get through, uh, all jump through all of those hoops and uh, and find them, and I'm really glad we did because there is so much in Fury Road that nods back to the past. It's it's not as if you need to know all of that stuff to appreciate it, but if you are, you know, really sort of uh, embedded in the in the lore of Mad Max, the the history, the canon then you will get lots of uh, reward from remembering um, those things. Now, that's uh, a kind of roundabout way of getting to Fury Road itself, and which apparently, and I can, the more I think about it, the more I get it now, is supposed to take place between the Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome. And so, uh, yeah, so Beyond Thunderdome hasn't happened yet, um, so are you looking puzzled, Ben? Oh, well, so, so I didn't end up seeing those films. And I've only ever seen all three of those previous films once in my life, right. pretty much when they came out, except the reverse order of one and two. So, so yes, there are nods to those previous films. And even I, when, is it 85, is that? Yeah. Beyond Thunderdome? Yeah. Um, so what, that's 30 years ago. So even having only seen it once... 30 years ago, I was getting references and nods. But where I got confused is because I recall, and you've seen it uh, recently, so you'll know, the war boys in Fury Road. In Beyond Thunderdome, I recall some little kids who had the same get-up, kind of painted white. And I thought, not knowing what you were saying about this taking place in between... Road Warrior and Beyond Thunderdome. I thought that that was those kids grown up. Right. No, I don't think so. I think that that's just an, a kind of look that um, that Miller that appeals to Miller, um, and there's that 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 idea. I mean, and and I think a lot of that comes from uh, uh, an appreciation of uh, ethnography and anthropology as well in terms of how human beings look when they when civilization is a long way away from them either in in the mad max world what they regress to um and in the world that we're in where you know if 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 civilization hasn't reached certain um cultures yet so i think that that's uh i mean he's an extremely intelligent uh well-read um 
filmmaker in terms of uh, where he draws his references from and there's you know we say this a lot about filmmakers there's nothing in there by accident well mm. uh, you know he really is a smart cookie and uh, Fury Road is full of really really smart storytelling as well as smart social comment and uh, and integration Kaylee you've seen it I'm guessing yes great that's helpful. Mm. But unlike the two of you, I haven't seen any anything else in the Mad Max universe because I wanted to go in. Um, not that I wasn't interested in seeing it. It's just never really popped up on my film watching platter. Well, I mean, it, it's 30 but. years since the last one. Why would you? you I mean, they're, they're, they're not films you would seek out nowadays necessarily. No. Um, so I, I didn't. I, I made sure not to watch the other ones before going in because I was like I just want to go in blind um and and I was sort of I I felt I felt like (laughs) that got (laughs) it was just it was so overwhelming I can't even put words to it because it the the film just starts it just starts and it like slaps you in the face and it's just going and I'm looking around I'm like am I supposed to know what's going on am I supposed to know who these people are what the hell is happening right now and it just never stops and it's so epic and so awesome but isn't it brilliant that it doesn't stop explain everything to you there, there there's not you know a long scene in the bus or in the in the in the cab of the truck where charlie's thrown explains to max who everybody is and why the why there are three war parties going after and the relationship between them and are they related to each other and is it really that's that lovely lovely line in there about you know this is just like a family feud you know but it's not is it a literally a family feud or is it a you know, does it matter? It's just it, it just adds colour to the story. But actually, everything everything that would slow a story down has been excised, hasn't it? Mm. And there's enough visual clues that give inferred backstories. Mm. Um, and the great thing about the f- the film is it doesn't treat you like a baby um, and spell everything out for you. And the vagaries, that's fine. We all get to make up our own bit mm. in in the vagaries. Mm. Um, and what's going on in on screen is utter chaos. So if you were to understand everything that was going on, that would almost defeat the point of the shock and awe. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, Not but, a film where you want to sit too close to the screen, I'd say. No. Did you watch it in 3D? Yes. No. All right. Yeah, I did. And I actually, because I, I, my understanding was that Miller wasn't that keen on the 3D and mm. that was sort of foisted on him. But no, I then read an interview with him at Khan where he said, oh, no, 3D's great. You should, you should go. Yeah, it was a, and it, it was, was good. A bit, it was a bit iffy in some parts. Um, but f- but for the most part, it was it was great. Well, when you've got such a, when you've got those really deep horizons, mm. there's something about 3D that really makes the, that makes the, the, the scale of how far away you are from anything. And mm. also when people are, when, when you've got the war parties chasing you and you, you, you sense their approach, I think mm. 3D is really helpful there. Yeah. Still but to this course, day, the best 3D film I saw was actually a documentary about putting out the oil well fires in a, after the first Iraq war. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And the, those horizons. Mm. Um, and it was Om, Omnimax, is that the format? So 3D Omnimax. Oh. Seems a pretty dry topic, but 
mesmerizing. Yeah, yeah. Omnimax is pretty great for 3D, though. Like, that is, like, ooh, 3D. But, of course, we cannot talk about Mad Max without talking about Furiosa and her ladies. because but the women's. The women's. Because <laughs> the girls. Because, I mean, the title, it's Mad Max because it's part of the universe. But he says, like, five words in the entire film. In and a different accent for each word. I know. He, yes. He starts off very Australian, doesn't he? And then he, and then he, it's almost as if it's like a magical transformation within the, that first two lines of He goes of a bit dialogue. vain for a little bit. He does. <laughs> it's kind of like a history of his acting work. Yeah. <laughs> In it's, one character. It is curious. Anyway, I interrupted you. Anyway. I, I, I mansplained my way into... That's okay. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it is, it's being called like one of the most feminist films ever, which it's... I, I wouldn't say it's the most feminist film ever, but definitely, you know, lots of great kick-ass female characters in this film for a big Hollywood tentpole movie. Um, and not not only do we have Charlize Theron, who is um, basically getting these women away from this horrible ruler, um, she is also a woman who has a disability. She has this, like, really awesome, like... Um, arm this like animatronic arm and she is just she ain't taking shit from no one and she's just gonna do her thing and save her sisters get across the desert it's her story isn't it it's her story it's it's if it's a reboot of anything it's a reboot of mad max 2 starring charlie's theron as mad max yeah it's great Mm. i loved her character she was so cool and and the the it's feminism is in its themes, uh, rather maybe less than its uh, its direction, I guess. The I mean, it's the most feminist studio film that I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, we watched it after Pitch Perfect, which was like setting <laughs> setting feminism back twenty years. Um, but the you know when when we first when or when Max first sees the the, the rescued uh, um, brides, and they're sort of in this haze in the distance with their diaphanous white which, which I found a little bit, Ian and I both found a little problematic. It's like, me too. why are they wearing, it's, I mean, it's, it's, they're wearing next to nothing because they're sort of, they're basically these like princess Leia sex slaves, you know, mm. uh, breeders. But it's like, why do they have to be all like perfect and slim and like in these in these like little bits of cheesecloth? It's like, come on. Why are they wearing Pirelli next to nothing Calendar and girls. playing with a hose? Why can I see all their nipples? That, <laughs> well, and and, and that I th- yeah, it is problematic. Mm. And no doubt there will be theses written on that just that one scene alone mm. uh, and how it relates to the rest of the film. But in some ways, it's it's almost as if it's. Um, a bait and switch for an audience, mm. you know. It's like, you know, f- I mean, partly psychologically, I'm sure that that's what how Max sees them anyway, no matter what they would be wearing. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but also, you know, you you get you see them in uh, as, as as one thing in the way, and, and you could argue that you know this is how Hollywood presents women, uh, and then the rest of the film is about revealing them as they really. As they really are, mm. and so. it, and it's great because it's like they are. I mean, they're they're being rescued in a sense, but by another woman. Um, Mad Max is sort of helping, I guess. I mean, yes, he is. He's sort of he's shooting people and stuff. Um, but also, there's this wonderful like the the one scene that he has where he absolutely on his own does 
whatever it takes to to keep them safe, mm. it's off screen. He goes off into the distance. He does what he has to do, and then he comes back again. And we just have to imagine the carnage that's ensued. You know, it's like even when he gets um, a moment of like pure classic um, macho heroism, mm. we, we Miller doesn't want to show it to us. Yeah, and and the women, you know, they're being rescued, but they they aren't weak. They're not, you know, like flaily princesses but they also they're owning their femininity and they are feminine but they're defending themselves and they're shooting bows and arrows but they're also not all the same either yeah, right? yeah which is exactly it's it's a very diverse group one of whom is pregnant and still is like kicking ass oh it's just great it's great it's great mm. so refreshing and then and then we get to the um to out into the desert and you think uh, you think that the journey is over. They've they've achieved their goals. Um, Furiosa has uh, has found her community, and then that changes and is switched on us again. She see uh, we we the, the the community of women that that they find, and uh, I mean I thought that those characters were really interesting oh, as well. Great. Yeah, the, the, that's where the the crux of the feminism came in for me. Mm. That I loved those older women. They were great. And uh, I put it this way: the only the only time my eyes welled up was when some of the old ladies copped it. Oh God, I know. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert. The um, I thought we discussed that. We no, were we, we, we. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think anyone's going to mind on, uh, on, on this one. The uh, there is a little bit of a love story as well. Yeah, I was going to say the character of Nux, uh, played by Nicholas Holt, who again, this is a, a great example of. Uh, of the way Miller gives characters that don't seem like their characters full full um, stories and, and and arcs. I mean, if anything, Nux is the character that goes on the greatest journey in the mm. in, in the film and undergoes the the greatest transformation. Um, and it's a terrific performance by Nicholas Holt, who we remember from Warm Bodies. I think he was the mm-hmm. the, the the zombie who comes to life in that. But I remember him from About a Boy. Yeah, that was yeah. That, that's that's what uh, blew my mind about the transformation of him as an actor. Yeah. It's it, it, it's incredible, and it I mean it's a it's a, a lovely characterization. Uh, when you first see the War Boys, you think that they are just this um, uniform bunch of uh, brainwashed um, sort of Hitler Youth kind of kids with with their rock and roll and their their um, paint huffing and their <laughs> and all the rest of it, and then and and then. You know, and a lesser film would have left it at that, mm. but we get the layers of that community, the layers of uh, of, of, of 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 this particular character, and uh, I think it's, it's terrific, isn't it? Um, yeah, one thing I actually really, I mean, in a weird, it sounds weird, that I I appreciated about the sort of universe of it is it is in this dystopian future. And the war boys, they're really diseased. Like, they're really sick. Like, mm. they're living in a world that's, like, all about obsessed with fuel. Everyone's really dirty. There's not much water. And they are just, like, riddled with disease. And it's like, you know what? That's pretty realistic. <laughs> if you're living in some sort of, like, horrible future where you're living in a cave and you don't have medical, you know, assistance or anything. It's like, you're going to be pretty ill and well, gross. And, and there's that, I read a, 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 a really interesting article earlier on today um, talking about, uh, a, a, that mentioned 
the extent to which Mac, like Max, Max's real um, ability to save people seems to come from transferring his blood to them. <laughs> so many blood transfusions. Yeah. And <laughs> so, you know, when we first meet him, he's basically provide, keeping Nux alive um, with strapped to the front of his car, um, providing him with blood. He, they call him his blood, his blood, blood bag. bag. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, you know, there's, and so the, Miller as um, a qualified medical doctor, you know, like that's, that was his, his profession before uh, Mad Max and before he became a, became a filmmaker. There, there must be something really interesting about the stuff that he has seen in emergency rooms or, or what what have you that that informs that level of sort of physical um, detail, you know. I thought that that was that was fascinating. He, was good. Um, he made Lorenzo's Oil, which, oh my God. which is Speaking a, a of fanta- crying, yeah, a fantastic <gasps> movie. Uh, you know, which again, his medical uh, his medical history informed. Uh, that's a film that we really want to see again. Anyway, we're, I'm going off topic, and we've got time we, we issues. Are so over time. <laughs> So I'm getting so much trouble. Is there anything else that, about this that we that, that we've that we spotted that we think um, might be interesting to people? I mean, we we're recommending it, aren't we? I mean, this oh, is yeah. uh, this is an action film, I and mean, it's obviously an action film. It's it's loud, it's violent, it's explosive, it's percussive, it's um, it's in your face. But at the same time, it's one of the most thoughtful, coherent, intelligent films um that i've seen in a long long time at the end of the first act it was the first fade to black in the film at least four people around me in the cinema audibly exhaled yeah <laughs> it was the first let up for probably 20 25 minutes and yeah there was a couple of people who just mm. went <sighs> yeah it re- re- reminded me of watching gravity the the mm. um the first time where um there was a point and gravity um, and Karen and I were holding hands, and we realised that we were holding hands so tight that we could almost not feel our fingers anymore. It was that tense, and it wasn't. It there was. It, it was. Just, you could not bear to take your eyes off the screen for a moment because you were going to miss something. Mm. And I'm convinced. I haven't seen it a second time yet, but I'm convinced that a second viewing will reveal nuances that we're not that we haven't even picked up on yet. Mm. Anyone seen the cars that ate Paris? No, but that's an Australian movie, isn't it? It is mid to late 70s. Um, but, uh, and possibly one thing we might want to discuss is that the the individual unique cars in this film are, are characters unto themselves. Mm. Um, but there was the kind of buggies with spikes all over them, which was... I think possibly a purposeful oh, reference almost, to almost the cars certainly. of um, we Just watched, Google image, search that, yeah. and you will see those cars. In addition to watching the three Mad Max films prior to this, we also watched uh, a documentary called Not Quite Hollywood, which is a history of Australian uh, exploitation cinema from... Ozploitation. Ozploitation, yes. <laughs> exactly, Ozploitation. And I, I'd seen it once before, but it was it was... After we'd seen the first three Mad Maxes, to go back to that to to understand where Mad Max fitted into the mm-hmm. into that particular um, cycle, and how uh, and there's been some interesting articles written. I'll try and put them into the show notes uh, as well on the on the website when we're finished. Uh, trying to also um, point out where exploitation movies in Australia, New Zealand, and Europe went after Mad Max, um, particularly the Road Warrior. How influential. 
um, it was and how completely demented things like the Italian uh, post-apocalyptic 1980s movies were. Um, so there's a... There's a I, I, I haven't enjoyed reading about films as much as I have in the last two weeks because the the this is a film that's inspired some really great uh, analysis and thought-provoking... Um, yeah, like there's some just been some really fantastic uh, writing about it, and I'll, I'll try and put uh, the best of it on the website when we when we finish. And I'm going to make a call here. Mm. I think this film will be a, a, a stylistic benchmark in a way that The Matrix was, in that in the two three years after The Matrix, the style of filmmaking for that kind of genre completely changed, and everything was chasing that Matrix look. Mm. And I think whatever whatever they're up to with the Fast and Furious, there would be one in production now, if not two. I bet you they've stopped production and they said, this is now a complete and utter waste of time unless we change this up. We have to we have to use real cars. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, and that's the thing is that, you know, the, 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 the nuttiness of the last Fast and Furious where they drive a car through two buildings at, what, 100 storeys high and what have you. And you just know that... You know, if you don't do it for reels now, you just you just and that's probably going to be another one of the next shifts is that real shift back to practical effects. Yeah, you can't beat them. No, it's, you it, can't beat them. It, it's, nope. it's fantastic, isn't it? Um, all right, we're going to go around the room now and uh, see if we can get two words for Mad Max. I'll start. Holy crap! Explosive fun. And this is me pausing and thinking. Uh, <laughs> Max Factor. Ooh, that's that's ooh. the that's the. Oh, see what I did there? Yeah, ooh. you can come back. Yes. All right, time for the news. Quiet, a little quiet news thing. <laughs> um, so ends a rundown for this week. Um, yeah, I missed all of this because I, 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 my social media stopped at like noon. When did you announce? Uh, it started it started at ten. Oh, okay. And then did lots of retweets and stuff. Right. See, so this is all new to me. Tell me what's okay. happening. So, <laughs> so today at the of office, we announced the live cinema for the twenty fifteen. Yes. Yes. Very exciting. So, in Wellington, we have a little film from nineteen twenty eight, a lost gem of Hollywood, called Lonesome. Uh, that is going to be accompanied by a brand new score by Lawrence Arabia and the Carnivorous Plant Society that will be screening at the Paramount on the 9th of Sunday, the 9th of August. What can you tell us about Lonesome the film? Um, I actually don't know a ton about it <laughs> other than what's on the website. Um, but it is basically a set in New York, um, Coney Island. In, in the Roaring Twenties, and it's sort of a, a day in the life of these characters, and it's a really interesting film because it's quite it was quite ahead of its time and sort of used all the effects that were available at the time, um, like colorization, you know, wow. all these all these very cool things. Um, I'm doing a terrible synopsis of it, but there's lots of information on the website nzif.co.nz. Great. So that's in Wellington, in Christchurch. Uh, there will be live cinema this year at the Isaac Theatre Royal. It will be a Charlie Chaplin double bill of The Kid and The Immigrant. And that will be with the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra. I think I have that right. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the orchestra will be performing the Charlie Chaplin's original score to The Kid and a brand new score to The Immigrant. And The Immigrant was a short film, which will 
be first. And then in Auckland, Lucky Ducks, they get both. <sighs> so if you're in Wellington, either um, make a trip up to Auckland or down to Christchurch, and you can do both if you're in Christchurch, same. Um, so very exciting. Two live cinema events this year. Woo! Yes. Um, and also, under the radar, for those of you who like reliving past festivals, we also launched the 2012 section of the archive. So you can go back and check out all the films from 2012. So how far? So it goes, what, 2014, 13, 12? Is that yes. Right. Yeah. So it, it is, um, 2015 is the year of them unveiling the archive. So it's coming out a bit at a time, but 2012 is the newest one. So it's up there. Well, I can't wait because once, once that archive is up to date, it's going to be the most fantastic resource. Mm, yeah. yeah. And yeah, big shout out to all the volunteers who are working on that to make it a reality. So thank you. Thank you. It great. looks great. And, of course, the Cactus Lab for making an amazing website. Um, on to real news. Well, not real news. News from the other parts of the world. The American Federation of Musicians is suing Hollywood Studios for recycling too much music in their films. Not sounding like they are recycling as you might... Sounding like they are recycling as you might Sorry, think. Sorry, I wrote this and it's terrible. <laughs> I, I really... I should get a slap on the wrist. <laughs> Um, but actually using music from film to film. Uh, did you know that one minute and ten seconds of the music from Titanic was used in This Means War, for example? Uh, apparently this isn't automatically an uncool thing to do, according to all the parties, but the amount that they are taking is. Too yeah. much recycling. Yeah, exactly. Stop being lazy. Con Film Festival <laughs> finished over this weekend, last weekend. Um, with the handing out of awards judged by a jury presided over by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Palme d'Or winner was Jacques Audiard's Dipan about Sri Lankan refugees in Paris. Grand Prix went to Hungarian Holocaust drama Son of Saul by Laszlo Nemes. Yorgos Lanthimos the Lobster, set in a dystopian future where single people are forced to find a partner in 45 days, or be turned into an animal and sent in the woods, took the, grand, uh, took the jury prize for all the cons talk about women uh, being the year of women, they still managed to annoy plenty of them by policing what they could wear on the red carpet, and the only female prize winners in the main competition were actresses Rooney Mara and Emmanuel Broco. And finally, Tilda Swinton has been cast to play a Tibetan mystic <laughs> named Ancient One, opposite Benedict Cumberbatch in the Marvel Universe film Doctor Strange. Could they not find a real Tibetan? <laughs> really? What kind of pandering is this? Hey, but Tilda Swinton. Yeah, still... We have to call somebody. We can't call the cops. What are you going to tell them? First things first. Your daughter is here and she's alive. This development was built on a cemetery. This isn't just a few pissed off spirits we're dealing with. It's a poltergeist. We just want our daughter back. The door and the world could close at any moment. If that happens, there's no getting her back. Poltergeist. It's a big film from lots of people's childhood, particularly uh, people of uh, my generation. It was one of those home video uh, classics that we that uh, we fell in love with. Produced by Steven Spielberg, directed by Toby Hooper, um, and you know, it, it's it is genuinely iconic. That sort of looking at the kid looking at the television there, here, all of that sort of stuff. Why would you make a new one apart from the fact that you can't make young people go back to the old one? Well, I'd say the studio had the rights to it. I don't know, do rights have a, 
they, they, day. they mm. absolutely do. So and yeah. they thought, you know, we're in the the decade of reboots and remakes. You know that that's why the that's why we have a new Spider-Man film every two years or so. It's because literally, if Fox if Fox doesn't make a Spider-Man movie after two years, they they lose the they lose the right. So they just keep making them no matter how shite they are, to uh, just in order to keep to make sure that nobody else gets it. I don't yeah. believe anybody involved with this film has actually seen the original. Right. What, do we know? But, but do we know what his? You know, when when someone's name gets attached as producer, what does that mean? What does it mean in this instance? Well, Can anybody tell me? I have to. Well, I, th- I think I think this, <laughs> no. <laughs> it, I get the feeling that Ramy is a more hands-on producer than most, but um, this does seem like a pretty slapdash effort, doesn't it? Um, it, it, it if what was his last film, Sam Raimi? Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah, as a director, yes. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Um, he, yeah. But he and Tappet, um, they did the Evil Dead uh, reboot a couple of years ago, which, which uh, I, scared the bejesus I out of me. I have to say, um, this is it's is a film that doesn't even really understand what made the first one nope uh, successful. The first one was a thriller in my mind, not a horror film. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it, it was a, a, a thriller based around um, supernatural activity. Um, and this one was the Haunted House slash Monster movie. Um, and, uh, and perhaps the whole premise of the film hasn't aged well. And by that, I mean... What year was the first one? 81-ish? That was one of the video nasties that my brother got out on video for me. 82. Um, 82. Um, And at that point, we hadn't had many demon children, possessed children. And I remember watching it and being terrified by it. And also there was this extra layer of, hey, is it cool to get a little kid to act in a movie like this? Is there there a counsellor on set? That's kind of weird. Um, So there was was layers to that terror. but we've we've seen plenty of demon children now. Um, There's been plenty of the talking houses. through the TV yeah. thing. That's so postmodern, late eighties, early nineties, when the TV was, you know, oh, we're we're coming to the other side of the screen now. Self reflexive. So Cronenberg. Um, and what were the other? It's it, we've seen everything in there. We're desensitized to it. It is no longer horrific. Mm. Um, again, a bit uh, uh, practical effects versus CGI. The CGI here is just a waste of time. Um, and just as you said, you went to see the reboot of Evil Dead and you it's, described yeah, no, it scared, as scared utterly terror, scared yeah. the bejesus. Yeah. There's not one single scare in this film. No. Not and, one. No, and uh, you also want them all to get eaten faster because they're all really annoying. Yeah. Um, Sam Rockwell, I mean, I love Sam Rockwell, but... He is very Sam Rockwell all the mm-hmm. way through. It's just like he's not been given a script. He's not really been I'd given rather a he just came around for a beer rather than I had to go <laughs> spend 90 minutes watching that yeah, film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, I guess the only thing that, uh, about it that I... that uh, and this does reflect back on the uh, on the original that, that is um, kind of apropos what's going on around about now is the idea that uh, in order to uh, build lots of houses, they're just um, the developers are just building on top of graveyards right next to um, electricity substations, which is basically what's going to be happening in Auckland, um, not in not too distant future. Um, so you know, if you if you're in the market for one of those houses uh, that they're going to be building up in Auckland, um, just make sure that you check out what you're being built on top of. 
Yeah, because uh, I loved I loved the original. Like I think mm, it's fantastic. So mm-hmm. I am I'm not spoiling that. Yeah. Mm-mm. Okay. So uh, my two words for Poltergeist are big disappointment, grave error. You just make you just embarrassing me now. <laughs> right. So good. Oh, boy, so oh boy. Good. I've got to up my game. Oh, I say that every week, don't I? No, I never do. I'm under pressure, though, because I'm on the spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, for, and we're not. Um, that, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that is our show for this fortnight. By my reckoning, uh, Kaylee, that makes it the end of season two. It is. Yeah. Um, so I've just been in a season finale. You have. You have. There you go. Box ticked. Um... We'll be back with the first episode of season three in a fortnight's time. Not sure what we'll be talking about, but I'm sure it will be uh, interesting. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to us at funeralsandsnakes.net forward slash Rancho Notorious, where you'll find ways to communicate with us uh, via the electronic mail, or you can make a comment on the website. You can follow us on Twitter at Rancho Podcast. That's R-A-N-C-H-O Podcast, all one word. Well, we will try to tweet incessantly <laughs> about things we think are interesting. Sorry, Slow but steady, you know? Yeah, so it's sort of been off the radar for a little bit. Um, and you can interact with us on Letterboxd, too. Our username is Rancho Notorious, all the, one word. The show is a Funerals and Snakes production. Season 2 has been executive produced by Robert Catto, Random Films, Claire Quiray, Mark Cuby, Anthony S. Pratt, Fred Thompson, and Matthew Buchanan. Now, what are we going to do about Season 3? Should we... Like, last time we rolled over our executive producers. Yeah. I don't... You know, I, I, I sort of feel like we should go and get a whole lot of new ones but I don't feel like we really need to go and ask for any money for anybody <laughs> except what here's what, I, what we could do is that if we went and asked for a little bit of money for like a travel fund we could take the show on the road later on in the year either during the festival or um, maybe afterwards we could just we could do like a, an Auckland gig maybe we'll do that maybe we'll try and raise a, a little bit of money just to cover travel costs should we do that? yeah yeah, maybe uh, I won't try and do any set Meeting anything. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Passed. Um, but no, maybe uh, listeners, if you think that's a good idea, mm. that uh, go back to pledge me, try and raise a little bit of money for some airfares and some accommodation, so we can take the show to Auckland and meet all of you who live up there. Um, maybe we'll do that and we'll get some uh, some new executive producers. And also, let us know where you'd like us to come visit and do a live show. Maybe we can come record in your house. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that'll be a pledging level. Rancho on the road. Yeah. House concert. <laughs> the theme music to the show is Ennio Morricone's The Good, The Bad and The Ugly by Loz Plantronics. You can buy that at the iTunes store. We're going to play you out with some more music. Here's a track called The Chase by Tom Holkenberg, also known as Junkie XL, from the deluxe extended extra choice version of the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack. Only two extra dollars on iTunes for the double the length um, version. Cool. Why wouldn't you? Um, so, bravos uh, to my partner Karen, who makes sure that everyone here uh, who visits us at Rancho Notorious is well fed, well watered, and well looked after. We're about to experience that firsthand. Uh, thanks very much to Ben Woodward for joining us here on uh, at Rancho Notorious tonight. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for the invite. Once again, thank you to Kaylee, and thank you all to listening. We're off for dinner, so that's good evening from me, Dan Slevin, and good evening from me, 